Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Editor-in-Chief Amy Kluber. Hi, Amy. Hello. You had the opportunity to chat with Sunny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and CIO at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. How'd it go? That's right. Sonny was so interesting. He is, I always love talking to leaders who have been in both private and public sectors. He definitely just has a wealth of experience and expertise in technology. You know, he's a, an engineer by trade, so he definitely shows a lot of that passion through the conversation we had. And he really brings out the mission that is so inherent to this type of work, being in public service. And at CPB, that mission reigns through everything that technology touches. So think of things like, you know, visa processes and the border processes, customs, like just encouraging lawful trade and making sure Americans are kept safe from the dangers of, you know, disease that can be imported into the country. So just everything that that touches, he really talks about how technology is going to improve those processes and just keep putting the mission forward. Yeah, it sounds like you had a really in-depth conversation that covered a broad swath of topics, but is there anything in particular that you want to highlight before we listen to your interview? AI. (laughs) I know it's our favorite word lately, but he really talks about how AI is going to really transform the agency and all the promises that he sees in helping the agency do better and meet its mission. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your conversation. Sunny, good to have you on the show. I'm really excited to talk more about some of your priorities and technology and all the fantastic things that are going on right now at CPB. So thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks, Amy. I really appreciate it and uh, glad to be here. It's definitely a transformative time we are in right now. There's a quickly changing cybersecurity landscape that has become concerning for all aspects of society. And I know for your agency, that hits pretty close to home in some ways um, when we think about the CPB mission. So I wanted to get a take from you. How are you seeing the tech and security landscape changing and how is it impacting your priorities at the agency? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, uh, greetings from obviously U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CBP. Uh, you know, certainly an honor to be here today to discuss our tech priorities and performance of our important 24 by 7 mission. And, and there's a lot of transformation that we're doing and technology and data and cybersecurity pervades everything that we do. It's in all aspects of our operations and society today. And, you know, our mission is quite broad, you know. It's protect the American people, safeguard our borders, and enhance the nation's economic prosperity. So that's a pretty wide-ranging mission. So clearly, I think technology and cybersecurity is part of uh, six priorities that uh, we are certainly uh, uh, focused on. And and, uh, let me talk about technology and cybersecurity landscape specifically. As you can tell, you know, uh, having done this for 38 years now, uh, uh, you know, long ago when I joined a Fortune 20 company and then rose up to be a chief engineer and from there, you know, f- served for 14 years there and and then uh, came into, uh, you know, government and have served for uh, 24 years out of which uh, 21 in federal government and three in state government. I've seen a lot in our country. 
And I've never seen a time where technology pervades everything in what we do, where you can have such an impact. You have artificial intelligence, machine learning on one side with a lot of benefits and some areas of concern. You have mobility, you have cloud, you have robotic process automation. You have all and all this data coming at you that all we got to make sense of. So it, it's, it's a lot going on. So technology continues to advance at a rapid pace, including the complexity and persistence of our adversaries who seek to disrupt us and damage our organization and our country. And uh, we are a nation of laws. And unfortunately, some of these adversaries are not. And uh, and so it's easy for them to kind of keep attacking, but it's it's we have to uh, defend by the rules, and uh, and so it's a little bit tougher. But we are the best in I think in in, in what we do. But it it takes a, it takes a lot of effort. So I think cybersecurity is now increasing importance. Uh, at one time, it used to be called information assurance, and now it's the new phrase called cybersecurity. But some of us who have been practicing, you know, being practitioners for decades know that it's at the end of the day, it's about information, you know, what data is really sensitive and in what context, and then what are some of the things that we need to look at. So it is very important to OIT, CVP, and DHS priority. So I've advocated for such advanced capabilities like cyber threat intelligence, uh, cyber threat hunt, uh, insider threat capabilities, improved event logging, uh, monitoring and alerting capabilities on the cyber side of it. We are using anything from uh, in new areas of looking to deception technology, user activity monitoring, entity behavior analytics, all this stuff, and 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 that's really key to making sure that we stay ahead of the game. You know, we process about 172 petabytes of information across our network every day, so it's like a couple of Fortune 20 companies in once every day, and and uh, we uh, are withstanding over 100 million attempts on us a day in cyber as well. We also, while we're doing this, we're processing something like 10 billion with the B uh, data exchanges a day, transactions a day, and about 40 to 50 billion data exchanges a day. So when you look at this sort of landscape, we are talking about uh, one of the largest civilian agencies in terms of, uh, or largest in terms of just size, scope, complexity of task because of the mission that I talked about earlier. There's also emerging technologies on the other side of it, like artificial intelligence and in large language models which was making us rethink how the organization will operate into the future. You know, this could range from resource allocation to workforce training to greater data exploitation so that we can uh, have more flexibility in how we use the resources more smartly, you know, so work smarter, not just harder, but also do it, uh, you know, with ethics and governance. That's a very important point. So we're looking into all of that so that, uh, you know, we can optimize the allocation of resources and operations and also just make sure that uh, we can dedicate certain experienced people to more deeper analysis interactions, but also train our teams and, and make sure that we can build some career pathways into this new opportunity that is very exciting. But in some areas, some of those people are still scared. Hey, you know, is AI going to replace me? It's not, but AI can assist. And at the end of the day, the human in the loop, the officer and the agent is going to make the decision. The AI is going to be the assist. But on the other side of it, the AI has to be reliable and you know the confidentiality, the integrity and availability of information in cyber of that data has to be really clear. So I think the AI will allow us to exploit some exponentially growing data. We can link that stuff together and find out. So for example, we can find the fentanyl that's coming into our country. We already have stopped uh, this, this year alone, FY23, CBP has uh, seized about 23 thousand pounds of fentanyl 
just 2.2 pounds is deadly enough that can, uh, you know, uh, kill or maim or uh, affect hundreds of thousands of, of, uh, of uh, folks. So just imagine what we're doing. But we're also looking for what are we not catching because of all the concurrent missions that we got. So, so how do we use our infrastructure and processes to collect, aggregate, process, analyze, and make that data available so that maybe it's available to them on a mobile uh, device and maybe that assist tells them, maybe they can have voice recognition, have all that information available to them and look for the fentanyl in the right container, in the right place. So we're doing a lot of this stuff. And I think all of this time, uh, you know, all these technologies are coming to fore. And so it's a very exciting time. It's a very busy time and certainly uh, also a little scary time because uh, cyber also has, uh, has uh, become a concern in addition to all the wonderful things that technology does for us. That cybersecurity element definitely feels heavier now, especially with things going on in the world. But as you mentioned, the opportunities for how technology can make really good impacts are kind of exciting. When it comes to CBP's mission with engaging with the public, and you know, it's twofold. You're encouraging legal trade, but you're also needing to secure the border. And so technology has a lot of promise with things like the customer experience. How are you thinking about how technology is going to pave the way for improving that experience that people deal with daily with the agency? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think uh, when I was, uh, after I uh, left the Boeing company and, and joined the government, I joined the FBI and then I eventually became an assistant director in the FBI in, and, and uh, one of the deputies to the CIO. And uh, at that time, we were involved with so many things that helped the, CIA, the FBI after 9-11 uh, to get better with technology and cybersecurity. We were there also when, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hansen was an insider, uh, you know, uh, uh, a sort of a double agent for the Russians. And we, we, we caught him and, and or not we, meaning the FBI, not me, but, uh, but all of that stuff. Uh, so those were very interesting times. Now you can see the same challenge where the level of threat has gone much bigger. Okay, so when I left the FBI, I became interior CIO and, and have served across our great country in, in various roles. Since then, I went to GSA. After that, I left and went to GSA as a deputy associate administrator. And I we, there were two of us. Uh, one, one handled something called CX, which is called citizen experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I handled a lot of the federal uh, programs like cloud, data.gov, uh, FedRAP, and other kinds of program as one of the executives. So I, I've seen this whole journey come full circle. And now the CX is called customer experience. So, so you know, it's citizen experience, customer experience. It's, it's, it's how do you define a customer, but, but you're right. All these digital, the world has gone digital and is getting more and more digital. You know, things used to be in paper-based where the official system of record. So I think customer's experience now in CX uh, is, is a key element, how we can effectively support our mission operations because a lot of the stuff that we do is now digital and how we interact uh, with uh, all the stakeholders. Uh, we have several uh, thousands of trade partners. We have several thousand people who, uh, uh, tens of thousands of trade partners. Uh, we deal with a huge amount of, uh, obviously, as you can see, uh, various parts uh, of our mission uh, that, uh, you know, CX improvements will lead to a better digital experience for our customers and efficiency in their process. In fact, uh, we have also done a digital readiness uh, 
a benchmark. Uh, and I think we were one of the first agencies to do this. And 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 one of those digital readiness has shown us that we are pretty good in some areas, but there are obviously some areas of improvement. And then on December 2021, uh, the CX uh, importance was un underscored by President Biden when he signed the executive order on transforming federal customer experience uh, and service delivery to rebuild trust in government. So this executive order clearly, you know, gave us design, how to design and deliver services that are more equitable, accessible, uh, effective, and reduce the burden placed on the public from federal services, so the processes and programs, so that you can build trust and credibility in how we serve them. So, so the CX, in our opinion, is the perception that you know, there's satisfaction in how the public uh, deals with an agency product or service, you know. I've also been a state government CIO, so I'm one of the few who's kind of got experiences all over the place. So, uh, you know, when you're a state government CIO, you know, the public comes straight up to your doorstep, <laughs> you know, and they're like, hey, my stuff doesn't work, or, or yes, it does work, uh, you know, or, you know, I need a, I need a, something for camping or boating or, or whatever they, they want to do. So in Hawaii, that's what they would ask me, like, hey, where's my stuff? And then you would, Put digital services out there, and that time we transformed Hawaii from zero to kind of uh, you know the top of the heap. And in fact, uh, we got several national awards uh, with the digital experience and uh, and uh, you know apps that are on mobile apps that are on the on the uh, uh, you know uh, that they could uh, interact with the public and and directly with the government. And since then, you know, my successors have even taken even further. So that's good. On the federal government side, you know, CBP is pretty advanced in some areas, but you know, we can always improve. So DHS has, as the secretary has established this department-wide CX office led by a CXO, and uh, she's very good, Dana Chisnell. And there's an initiative to build CX capacity and maturity. So we are one of the 35, 35, 35 high impact service providers, uh, along with USCIS, FEMA, and TSA, our sister agencies within uh, DHS. And the idea is to achieve these objectives by the EU and the president's management agenda. So there's some several examples of CVP customers and examples of touch points as to when they engage with CV products and services. So example is for you're a US citizen and you're a traveler, you're using a US, uh, you know, you're using the uh, trusted traveler program or mobile passport control. You can check the CVP website. You can have general interaction with CVP at our 328 ports of entry. You can declare goods, pay duties and all that. So digital from that standpoint. If you're a non-US citizen traveler border, you are accessing the I-94 website or the CVP one app and interacting at the with the port of entry and you're changing status, declaring goods, paying fees, et cetera. So that's an example of a non-citizen. If you're an operator, you're an airline, vessel, or trucking, you're submitting passenger and cargo manifests because you have to declare everything that's coming inside the country and we check that. If you're a CBP applicant, you can talk to recruiters, you can check the CBP website for open positions. By the way, we are hiring. So uh, you can go on LinkedIn or you can go to cbp.gov and we put that information on there. Uh, if you're another government agency, if you're an OGA, you can share data by providing uh, uh, data to us and, and we share that out. If you're part of the international trade community, importers, carriers, you know, that was a, uh, the thing that I talked about earlier. Uh, you know, we process about three to four trillion dollars in imports and exports in our country. And all of that stuff is 
is that process. We're also the second largest collection agency, I might add. After IRS, uh, we, we have collected about $120 billion uh, with duties, fees, and, and, and so on and so forth. You can also interact with CVP services uh, like a automated commercial environment or VEX, vessel uh, registration, and so on and so forth. If you're a domestic or international stakeholder, uh, you can travel and take and the trade stakeholders meetings are interacting with CVP, we do that. So as you can just imagine, I've given you an example of like five or six uh, role-based uh, access things as to what you can do with it. So digital is it. Uh, we are absolutely going all digital. We're going mobile. So so cloud first, uh, mobile first, uh, if, if possible, uh, digital ready yeah, for sure. Uh, improving our processes, improving the customer experience, and 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 making sure that we also reduce the burden is very important. The last thing I'll just say is that on burden reduction, uh, recently, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to kind of reduce burden for the public and how they deal with all the forms and everything else. Uh, DHS uh, gave us a goal, and we doubled that goal. So we have contributed. 13 million hours of savings out of a 21 million uh, hour goal for DHS for the secretary so far. So not bad. And, uh, and you know, while Amazing. we continue to do operations. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, so everything is moving around pretty well. And we're very committed to uh, the secretary and uh, leadership's goal to kind of make sure that we uh, keep on excelling and, and getting better at we're not saying we're there yet, but uh, we're certainly, uh, I, I think, pretty advanced in this area. Very exciting. And it's, you're definitely speaking, you know, the common language when you say things like cloud first and mobile first. Uh, that's definitely bringing it into the century. So it's very exciting. Uh, if I can just add one thing on that, by the way, sure. I was there when Vivek Kundra started this whole stuff. So <laughs> when he came cloud first, uh, you know, I was doing my day job was uh, I was a department CIO at Interior. My night job was he would call at the federal CIO council. He said, hey, I need some volunteers or some voluntolds, you know, so he came up with this idea on data.gov, open data, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant sort of thought. And I was like, wow, uh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll sign up for that. So I was doing that on the side and then, you know, did it a little bit more full-time at GSA before I went to state government as a CIO. Uh, he came up with federal cloud, so full props to him. Just see his, his vision from 2009 till today, 14 years later, look at how much cloud has now become the norm, right? Uh, I'm happy to report, by the way, uh, CBP is one of the largest civilian agencies in terms of its achievement of the cloud. We're uh, exceeded our 70% goal for FY25 three months in advance of 277 apps uh, portfolio. That's a pretty large portfolio. We're we're one of the first agencies to be at this level of migration already ahead of schedule into the cloud. So so That's there you fantastic. go. So yeah, cloud first, mobile first. Uh, uh, digital, digital always, you know, these are the kind of things that we're trying. And obviously, you know, security is built in uh, throughout the process. Definitely. I like earlier when you gave kind of a rundown of your experience, both within local, state and local government, federal, and of course, private sector. I imagine the environment is a little different compared to, you know, the private sector at CPB. So I'm curious, you know, what is unique about the agency that is kind of impacting how you're thinking about modernization and all the hurdles you have to jump through just to get to that cloud first and mobile first, you know, I'm, reality. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of one of our former presidents, obviously, Mr. Roosevelt, who kind of said the man in the arena or person in the arena, I'd say, uh, I've been one of those folks who served and run to the front line, not away from the front line. <laughs> so even when I was in industry, I was in a big but you know, a Fortune 20 company at the time, uh, but uh, Boeing company, I, I, I served with NASA, DOD, Intel community kind of clients. 
I learned about some of the great things going on in our country. When I joined the FBI, I've seen uh, how, you know, you have to safeguard and protect the, at, at that time and solve the country from that time. When I was in the Interior Department, I saw how uh, sort of it's the Department of America in a way, how it, you know, from our parks to, uh, I've also served with the Native Americans as the uh, first CIO to kind of uh, serve the 562 uh, nationally recognized, uh, federally recognized tribes. I've actually been to our country to the remotest parts and, and seen how, how you know, what America, so America is not just DC, right? You gotta go out right. there. And, uh, you know, obviously since then uh, in Hawaii as a state government CIO, I've actually seen how state government works, including with the uh, hooking up with the uh, state the local. That's the only one I've not served in, uh, I've done the others. And then uh, now in treasury CIO and then here CBP CIO. So I think I've seen the world from different aspects. And I think to your point, the unique challenge is I think CBP is probably one of the most, is probably one of the best I've ever seen in terms of, uh, you know, how well this, this group and, and how committed people are. I am absolutely blown away by what my compatriots and I uh, have to do every day, every day. So when I gave you those stats earlier, you may like, wow, that's pretty, that's, that's a lot. That's what's going in our country and to safeguard our country and our people, uh, you know, uh, we, the agents and officers here have done an amazing job every day. And that's why the support staff like myself and others are really, uh, should we say, inspired to kind of keep working that. So we are the largest IT organization in the Department of Homeland Security, uh, including pay and stuff. We have a budget of about 1.8 billion. Uh, we play a very important role in protecting the American people, safeguarding our borders and enhancing the nation's economic prosperity because everything is based on now data, technology, cybersecurity, and all the other stuff flowing through that. And now innovation is also there. So my main goals are, you know, what I've seen different is previously the government would be looked at as, yeah, maybe a little bit behind industry. But the industry is very focused on, uh, you know, a profit motive, Government is focused on mission delivery. So, so I have seen that you cannot buy, you cannot buy the uh, the care and the commitment to mission that people have here for the country. You you, so you can't buy it. So that's the first difference that I see. I think uh, I see the the excellence that's here is equal to or better than industry because of that same care that people have. But on the other hand. I made it, I, we make it a bachelor's environment, meaning that industry's with us, in the front lines with us. And they also care because they want to get things done, right? It's very inspirational to see if someone is saying, I'm going to stop fentanyl from coming into a country because it harms our families together. It harms Americans, you know, so if we can protect that, that's a great mission, you know, or uh, I can make sure that there's national security, you know, we prevent something bad from coming into the country or, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or we do things humanely, you know, with humanity. We are a country of humanity. You know, we do things with, uh, and that's why, you know, that's, the, so those are the principles I think that, you know, I want to hearken to uh, extols a higher sense of calling and service. And I think both in government and industry are working hand in hand in that. I think we're our impact is growing exponentially each year uh, because of the, the sheer workload of our workforce. And we've dealt with some historical level challenges here, you know, largest border surge, uh, largest ever airlift from Afghanistan, Operation Allies welcome, uh, largest ever global pandemic. And we're all in this together and we continue fully throughout the process 
with the agents and officers even having to come in throughout the process because they have to protect on the front lines. And half of my team was on the front line with them throughout this whole COVID process. Uh, we've had uh, sort of uh, uh, the large, we withstood successfully and CBP was not affected, repeat, not affected. And the largest uh, supply chain cybersecurity attack with solar winds, you know, so we withstood that. Uh, we're dealing with uniting for Ukraine. We are absolutely involved with uh, making sure that uh, we can have a humane way that uh, women and children who are uh, fleeing that conflict, uh, you know, can work with USCIS and others to sponsor into America. So I can go on and on, but my point to you is all of this stuff is concurrent in addition to our regular mission. That's what's amazing. So, so I think uh, we're continually focused on uh, strategic transformation. We're continually focused on tactical excellence, operation excellence, and we're also bringing in innovation. And I think that's what's new again in CVP, is that now we can bring in that Silicon Valley innovation of industry. Because let's face it, they're, they're obviously well advanced in some of those areas in industry. We can bring that now into government with uh, some of our uh, SBIR acquisitions and so on and so forth, and, and make sure that we can use some of this cutting edge and innovative technology to keep pace with what's ahead. So artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, robotic process automation, uh, we have these autonomous surveillance towers where it can be un unmanned and out there, and then and we can only send the dispatch in when we see some activity at a certain part of the border. Uh, all within rules and regulations. You know, we are a nation of, we are a democracy with the rules and regulations. So you gotta have privacy, security, and all the other things built in. I think some of the challenges that I see in the workforce uh, is that, you know, training, you know, technology is moving so fast that I have someone who's telling me the other day that some of my uh, field technology officers and, and uh, folks who are in the field uh, supporting 328 ports of entry, uh, 125 border patrol stations, 75 AMO stations, and generally about a thousand locations, and also also about 98 countries around the world, is that they got to do like 40, 50 things that they got to be uh, uh, good with, you know. So just imagine they got to at one time fix a printer, then fix a laptop, then suddenly fix an app, then suddenly maybe look support a cybersecurity. That's a lot, right? So I think training on these new technologies is going to be important. I think recruitment and retention is important. Uh, uh, when I, you know, a lot of us who came from industry took a pay cut and came here and I've been serving for 24 years. So, you know, my wife said the other day, it's like, hey, uh, with all the hours you're working, I think you're at minimum wage. I said, yeah, but <laughs> but I'm happy. You know, it's, it's satisfying to see that I, I think I make a difference, a small difference. And and so, but still, at the on the other hand, you know, recruitment retention because you can certainly make more money on the in industry and go on the other side, uh, and, and that's fine. Uh, we are a capitalist society, so I think attracting and retaining the top IT talent can be a challenge, and, and so that's a challenge. But a lot of people who who are here choose to be here because they love the mission. But it's tough. Let me tell you, those days that we don't do 40-hour weeks. <laughs> so uh, I think funding and resources is another issue. I, I think the days of uh, where all the funding would come in at the last time and by last minute and week. So we have been very, very frugal and good public stewards in making sure that, uh, you know, we are achieving best ever results for our trusted partners. So the trusted partnership is another thing that I have started where uh, within 20 offices within the CVP, uh, with DHS, with other government agencies, with our 60,000 uh, partners and our uh, 98 countries, 
that we are delivering despite these budget cuts because we're focused on very specific services and, and making sure that we can meet those things. And, and there's a certain urgency and a certain, should we say, um, uh, energy that comes in from serving. Like, for example, when Operation Allies Welcome came from Afghanistan and they wanted us to fix that, we had deployed to seven other countries and, and we were delivering software. So I have 240 teams, let me repeat it again, 240 software agile teams that deliver, deliver software every two weeks or faster sometimes or longer, depending on what the requirements are incrementally. We were delivering some of those capabilities in days because someone was out there and saying, I, I, I can't make this work. They're right here. I've, I've got all these women and children. I got I to gotta help. You know? And so we were like, the software would be written here. The time zone would be different. We would deploy that capability. We use spatial recognition. We would check that up all the way up to the national security check that we had to do. Everyone was scrambling, but people came together. And to me, that's where, you know, I've seen this in 9-11. I also saw that. That's, that's where the, uh, I've seen the American spirit really come to fore in a way that, uh, uh, you know, it was really inspiring, really, really inspiring. I'm getting a little emotional here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was great to see that, uh, you know, we honored our obligations and some of the women and children who came in and who said, you know, what saved, you know, have an opportunity to, to live the American dream. So, you know, great. Uh, also, I think organizational design is a big thing. I think uh, going to cloud-based system and implementation of zero trust. So we are we are implementing the zero trust principle. So the zero trust framework that the White House came up with, uh, which is good for America in general, and just basically trust no one and verify everything. You know, uh, is is a key principle that we're doing. So I think all of this stuff that we're doing with this new technology landscape is very important. While we're doing all of this stuff the video is going high definition, the picture is going high definition, there's more data coming in, there's more stuff that we can link together within rules and regulations. If we have some of the rules and regulations or no rules and regulations like other countries or adversaries, we can connect dots much easier, no problem, it'd be easy job. It's hard because we have to live by a very set of, uh, you know, we're a democracy and like I said, we live by uh, many principles that, but still we do a really good job on it. And so I think overall to answer your question, couldn't be prouder of a great agency like CVP and what it does. And certainly, you know, once you go through CVP, you can be rest assured you are performing at the top level. And I can speak from experience. I have been at those levels. I have been a five-time CIO. I have served in a Fortune 20 company. I have been a chief engineer and an associate technical fellow. I can speak with some credibility that when I say that it is certainly an honor and privilege to serve in a great agency. And I might add, it is all of us together. My industry partners who are here with us are just as much to give credit to than, than the government staff. So I think that's what it takes. So uh, sorry, a bit on the soapbox there, but uh, that's a great question and I feel very strongly about it. And that's what you know makes our country great in my view. I definitely hear that sense of mission throughout everything you were just explaining about how the technology is going to make impact. And I know you mentioned a lot about the cybersecurity priorities and some of the emerging technologies that can have a lot of promise in some of those missions. Um, so looking toward the near future, you know, is there anything in particular that you're really excited about on the horizon considering all these initiatives? Yeah, I think four or five quick things I think we should go through. I think there are a lot of, first of all, it has to be use case based meaning that operational efficiencies, automation, effectiveness, accuracy, so that we can automate tasks, we can use real-time data analysis and response, 
We can use tagging of images and video, pattern recognition response. So we should always figure out these principles that we got to use to make sure that the use case drives it, the mission drives the technology. You know, I'm an engineer, so I, I have a bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering. I also have another master's in, in management. I have CIO certifications, I have 38 years and all this stuff. But all the stuff that I learned, you know, I learned more on the streets when I came to work and I realized like, oh, I got to put this to what, to what end, right? And sometimes at, back in the day when I was an engineer, I used to have a pocket protector, by the way, Amy. So, you know, when I was a NASA, I had, I had a NASA pocket protector. You had to have one back in the day. <laughs> but, but when you did that, now you're in this area, you realize, oh my goodness, it's not about the technology driving the mission. It's mission driving the technology and technology is in response to a requirement, not in search of a requirement or not, not in search of a, a solution, right? So it's solutions in response to problems, my point. And I think the mission drives the technology. Once you have that, then you can open your mind into what are some of the solutions that we need. So all the stuff that I talked about here are capabilities that technology can provide. But at the end of the day, it's about the mission. So what is the mission? Cargo screening, let's try that automating the identification of anomalies and norms so that we operator assist can provide high regions of interest so we can look at what's in the conveyance modification, what is in the verification of commodities, supply chain of products, you know, uh, uh, counterfeit goods or, or bad stuff that can harm us, uh, finding it and screening it, stopping it, or passing it through faster. Uh, foodstuffs can be fine. But on the other hand, agriculture, some of the stuff can destroy all our crops in our country. We can't do that. So all of that stuff, the so cargo screening is one. Forced labor, humanity, you know, where we have forced labor in some places around the world where in that chain, we want to know that through advanced analytics and machine learning coupled with commercial data sources, AI capabilities, we can further identify, disrupt the importation of goods made in whole part or part or, or whole or in part use of forced labor, you know, we have to be humane in terms of where this thing is coming, you know, so uh, we obviously always want to help, uh, you know, folks around the world and even in America, but, you know, you got to be done in a, in a humane way. So forced labor is another thing. And as you know, what we're doing with the UFLPA, with the, 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 the China uh, Uyghur Act and all that kind of stuff. Uh, another one is uh, to go a little bit on the technical side, video and image redaction. So we can identify uh, objects and models and we can identify where these things are detected, label it, perform a redaction on it if it contains personal sensitive information and, and zero in on what the issue is. So if someone leaves a certain kind of package, all the rest of the people are not to be, you know, they're not the subjects of interest or person of interest. For someone is the person of interest if they left an unattended baggage and it could have a bomb in there. We want to know. Or they left something else in there. We can track it now, automate it through processing all this stuff. So that redaction, take everything else out, focus in on what needs to be looked at. Uh, the other thing, just segueing into that, is object identification. Using computer vision software, we can detect track after our activities. Uh, so we can have real-time alerts, be using some of the existing surveillance platforms that we use all within rules and regulations, and decrease cognitive load on personnel, meaning if they're looking at, I mean, human beings only look at so many things, and now the software can detect, like all this stuff being done, it can track to the person or thing or whatever that seems anomalous. And then we can zoom in on other things that we can take a look at, right? we can now have that capability on that intelligently. So work smarter, not just harder. 
work within the rules and regulations, but also come out with ways that we can uh, uh, we can uh, really identify the sub the point of interest or you know thing of interest. We're also using artificial intelligence for greater you know operational outcomes. Uh, we're enhancing the safety and abilities of uh, personnel. So, for example, uh, the lethality of illegal, uh, illegal drugs like fentanyl. The, the protocols to deal with the fentanyl, I mean, you're talking a small pinch can kill hundreds of people. Uh, dealing with that is very, very uh, carefully. And uh, we also have canines that are very good. So the combination of people training, agents and officers, canines, uh, our technology with modeling that we use, you know, and some intel of data and combination of all these things tells us where to look, how to find it. And it's a constant cat and mouse game as to how our adversaries are doing this, right? As you know, you can you can just imagine transnational crime organization with some state-sponsored countries working this, right? Uh, so what are they after? Maybe to weaken America, I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff, right? We gotta, we gotta protect our people. So I think, but dealing with that, AI can help us limit and re, uh, re reduce or remove human exposure uh, to keep our people safe by telling us where to look What's in there? What are the precursors? What to watch out for? Just imagine if you had that chemical composition and say, don't touch that or be 20 feet away from that or whatever. And it gives you all that information on your mobile phone in advance or something like that. You see that you can expand the perimeter and, and be more safe. We also take resources that are spent on routine and repetitive tasks. We use robotic process automation also and AI where uh, we can obviate the need for a lot of other things that are done by human and it can just be done through process automation. We've got, so we've got 77 AI projects going on right now and we have got over 170 uh, uh, RPA projects going on right now. We grew this just organically. Now these are smaller projects, but my point is we are, we are sort of going small, starting small, you know, and, and, and checking it out. And then if it works and move on to the next. So it's, 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 it's a very organic uh, center of excellence, center of innovation approach. We're also using AI and machines and machine learning to assist humans with time sensitive activities uh, or time, in time intensive activities that requires large computational elements like sifting through vast amounts of data. You know, these machines can do that much faster in how they work. So Exciting time, really, and so I think from this standpoint is that emerging technology is changing another, uh, is changing the world. I'll leave you with this one thought, since uh, you know I, I have to give something provocative at least, of something uh, you know thought uh, thought provoking. Uh, quantum safe and quantum computing. We're also working in that area. So quantum safe is making sure that our cryptography is not broken because now instead of math, I'm an engineer, so mathematical algorithms is how we use for cryptography. We are trying to go to quantum mechanics and quantum computing, which is all in the quantum field that, that you can't break it this way, right? So both these things are going to emerge with also AI processing into computers available, optimized for AI processing. So it's going to be an incredible time in the future where everything is going to, I mean, maybe those holographic computers and just like that Star Trek stuff that I see on uh, on TV is going to be a reality. You'll be able to talk to something and things happen, you know, and, and you, you, you interact with things like that. And, you know, I don't think we're far away from some of those capabilities. You can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm a Star Trek and Star Wars fan, so you know, you know, I got to do something, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> May the force be with you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Live long well, and prosper. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sunny. This was a fantastic look at some of the missions that you're prioritizing and how technology is really going to help. And I feel like there was a lot to unpack here, but um, it's definitely exciting, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate it. I think uh, with all the things that are coming in on uh, with the skill of our workforce, being more cyber vigilant, looking at all these emerging technology, uh, looking at all this quantum computing and, and all this other stuff, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, things for us to do. And uh, I think it's going to take all of us to work together and, uh, and uh, push this envelope further. So I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day and uh, have a great week. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Before I let our listeners go, do you have any last takeaways or highlights you want to leave them with? I really love how Sunny said they are all in on digital. I think I can quote it exactly like that. It's really exciting to see kind of like the the legacy modernization going on with removing the legacy systems and getting into all digital with the cloud and the mobile. So I'm really glad Sunny kind of broke it down for us and it's really something to look forward to. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Listeners can tune in next week for a brand new GovCast. But until then, if you like what you heard, make sure you leave a review and a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Amy Kluber. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform, and if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. 